This is Pete Moore. I want to tell you about a company that is going to change the entire recruiting in the Halo sector. The company's called GamePlan. We are GamePlan.com. What they do is they connect employer brands with D1, D2, D3 athletes across the country. They power the software that allows these employers to get in front of tens of thousands of athletes. If you watch the NCAA tournament, the hustle, grit, preparation, determination, and absolute desire to win embodies every athlete out there. Now you're gonna be able to put your brand in front of those athletes, start to get them to understand after their college career, they can get into the halo sector, go work at a studio, a health club, fitness equipment company, supplements, anything related to this industry, they can now parlay those skills and bring it into the sports and fitness industry that we are going to have the best athletes become the best employees and create the best companies. And that is the future of Halo. One, two, three, Halo. We are gameplan.com. Check it out. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. After a long, long interview process to be able to get Dr. Lori Witzel on our program, we have the honor of having her the senior director of the Physical Activity Alliance, a longtime executive at the American Heart Association, and our good friend and partner, Tom Richards, who is the quote unquote engagement manager as part of what we're going to talk about today, and also a first mover in organic wallpaper. So thank you for being on the show. Great to be here, Pete. Awesome. Thanks, Pete. So, so most of our audience is, is very familiar with URSA, some of the policy and advocacy things that, that we're doing in D.C. now as, as part of that organization. You know, you're at a much higher level uh, of really moving, you know, instead of moving needles, you know, you're really moving boulders to, to get physical activity better understood and, and maybe, you know, prescribed into this. I, you know, it's kind of the four of us could look at ourselves and say, well, you know, what's taking so long? Uh, or are we really still having this conversation after going through COVID and healthy people around and unhealthy people not around anymore, unfortunately? So maybe you can, uh, uh, doctor, uh, give us your background so the audience understands, you know, what level you're at and how things are going to move and then, you know, be critical about how we can help actually make this happen. Gosh, thanks, Pete. Those were some really hefty questions. I'm really glad to talk those through with you today. Um, so I'll introduce myself. I am Laurie Witzel. I'm, I, I'm vice president of policy research for the American Heart Association. So I help translate the science and evidence space into policy solutions that improve cardiovascular health for the population across the United States. And we have a wide strategic policy agenda at the AHA. But I also have the privilege of helping to lead the Physical Activity Alliance, which is a large national 501c3 that brings together stakeholders in the physical activity communities for us to speak with one voice on significant policy and systems changes. So as you said, Pete, you know, we are working mostly on the national level to address those policy and systems changes across numerous sectors represented by the National Physical Activity Plan. That's the roadmap for implementing the physical activity guidelines for Americans. But one of our major initiatives is our It's Time to Move campaign. And I think that's what we're going to really focus on today. Yeah. And then, Tom, uh, for the three or four people that don't know, you're uh, moving and shaking in the industry. Why don't you just give a quick preamble on how you got engaged here uh, directly? 
Sure. Thanks, Pete. Um, so I've known Lori for, uh, gosh, over 10 years now and uh, had an opportunity to work with the Physical Activity Alliance through some grant funding. And so I've been helping her uh, develop some partners and, and supporting the It's Time to Move campaign. Just really excited to do the work. And, you know, I also do a lot of work with URSA and the National Health and Fitness Alliance, which is how you and I get to work together and something I really enjoy. Great. So, you know, for, for the, the people uh, on here that want to understand the initiative, it's time to move. There's going to be a PowerPoint uh, PDF download uh, in the show notes. You know, it's obvious to me that, you know, exercise is, is the focal point um, and, and eating properly, you know, is, is the pathway to, to a healthier lifestyle and a halo lifestyle. So, Lori, why is it taking so long for us to have to convince other people that, that this like we actually have to do clinical research to convince these people that exercise is good for you. So you know, kind of talk about the history that you've gone through and why you think we're actually at an inflection point and, and the change is going to occur rapidly. Yeah, thanks, Pete. So I think I just would say first that we're standing on the shoulders of giants. So as you say, there have been folks working in this space for a long time and doing that really important foundational work to establish you know, physical activity is a vital sign as medicine, as, you know, and, and we have the evidence base that it's articulated in the physical activity guidelines for Americans. Like this is transformational if you can make this a regular part of your daily life. So, you know, that's all there. That foundation is already there. But I think what we're doing in our physical activity alliance work is bringing sophistication to some of the interactions with the government agencies and some of the policy sh changes that have to take place. I'll tell you how so this It's Time to Move initiative is a multi-pronged, multi-year effort. And all of the different pieces of the plan are, they, they totally interrelate. So the foundational work though, is to get into the HL7 process, Health Level 7 International, and build a standardized measures for assessing, prescribing, and referring physical activity for patients. And I didn't really know much about the HL7 process until a couple of years ago and was having conversations with the National Academies and CDC and others. And we were talking about surveillance for physical activity and improving it. And somebody mentioned, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had an HL7 measure for physical activity? And I said, what does that, what does that involve? You know, so we did our due diligence. We actually worked with Jevity Consulting, which has now been purchased by Accenture and the counsel I got from our quality initiatives team at the American Heart Association was, is if you want to navigate the HL7 process, you need to do it alongside somebody like Accenture who's in that community all the time. So that was really good advice. And that's an example of some of the sophistication I think we're bringing to this work now, where they helped us with funding, create a roadmap for how to accomplish the work in HL7. And now we've got funding, some funding to implement that roadmap. So just explain to us what, once HL7 is put in place, what mm -hmm. is that downstream effect? And is it mandatory compliance? Is it recommended? Is it, you know, Apple Watch kind of says, okay, I'm NL7 kind of certified. Tell us what drops out of NL7. So HL7 has... Um the, uh, so what that does, Pete, is it gives us the opportunity to standard. So we create what we do in that process. First, we build out a project scope, and that has to be approved by the community, and that has just been done. So the HL7 community has just approved our project 
And now what we have to move, the next phase of our work is to move into the implementation guide development. And so the implementation guide is really critical because it gives the technical specifications behind the scenes for adoption. So the EHR, vendor, it makes it easy for EHR vendors to adopt, for payers to take a look at, um, to develop the relevant WOINC and CPT codes. These, this is all, you know, get where it gets really wonky really quickly. But essentially what we're doing is creating the technical specifics to make this, to create the standardization. And we're not just standardizing the vital sign of physical activity. We're also standardizing how the provider asks about physical activity and assesses it, how the provider will um, prescribe physical activity and how the referral will happen from clinic to community because we've got to connect patients to resources in the community to be physically active. And this is where your community is so critical because they are, hopefully the target audience for getting that patient uh, into fitness centers, into um, connected to health and fitness professionals who can offer and follow through on the prescription. And then what is that feedback loop back to the provider to let him or her know what happened? So all that is part of our implementation guide. We try, we're trying, we're going to be standardizing that so that it can, it can flow. So the data can flow and follow the patient through healthcare delivery but then you have to work with CMS, uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, to cover, get coverage determinations for the exercise prescription for health and fitness professionals to offer it. Work with the American Medical Association on relevant CPT codes for billing for physical activity prescription. We're, uh, we're just opening up conversations with the Office of the National Coordinator right now so that we can connect the wearable devices to the EHR, the wearable device information to the, that's one of our key goals in this is not only is it self-reported measures of physical activity, but it's actual data from wearables that can get into the EHR too, to inform the conversation between patient and clinician. So, so let's take an example of uh, Silver Sneakers, which mm-hmm. is a program by Activity Health. Um, they've got 32,000 fitness centers and studios and and gyms and you know wellness centers that that people can go into and there's a um a fee that gets charged um to the healthcare uh provider and you know that that's you know dollars not you know hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars a month so how does a group like a silver sneakers or you know medicare advantage or you know humana or some of these other groups that have their in-house you know physical activity um a la carte menu for people to maybe go to, but not mandatory. Uh, and then the follow-on question to that is there's incentives that need to be put in place. And I feel like insurance mm-hmm. companies in general, they want to raise their premiums and they want to lower their, their, you know, expense ratios at the same time. It's so obvious that if people don't show up at the doctor and instead they go into a health club four or five days a week, it's a profitable, you know, patient. So where where's where do you think the incentives are? And then if you're silver sneakers, how do you kind of take advantage of this? Or you know what 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 do, what do they do, and how do they have to comply with HL seven and all these other groups? And obviously they've got a team that's trying to create revenue, and also at the same time you know have an advocacy kind of sale at their back. Yeah. Thanks. So first, Tivity is now a new member of our board at the Physical Activity Alliance. So we're really excited to have them on board because they bring, once again, some more background and sophistication to this work. And 
and they're valuable, you know, valuable contributor to our strategic thinking going forward. But uh, so there are any number of ways, Pete. So I think, first of all, the, as we said, like this work in HL7 is kind of the foundational work, because then what follows the implementation guide, there's a pretty rigorous process, first of all, for your implementation guide. You've got to take it through two connectathons, they call them at HL7, which is essentially a review process where implementers will take your implementation guide and give it a test run and say, uh, this is working or this isn't working. This is what you need to fix. And you need to integrate all of that important feedback before you can bring it to the final ballot for approval. Then once you get the implementation guide done, then the you know there's the big lift of getting it implemented. It does nothing to create an implementation guide that's not implemented. So this is why bringing more and more stakeholders into this work is so critical because what CMS told us in our initial discussions is you should look at, we, because we are asking, you know, if, can you give us an idea of how we might frame a coverage determination for the exercise prescription? Should we be thinking about the cardiac rehabilitation model and infrastructure and building off of that? Should we be thinking about a direct referral to an exercise health and, ex, health and fitness professional? They said, take a look at the coverage determination, our, our decision memo on acupuncture and low back pain. And that may provide you some structure for how you could think about this. It's interesting because Tivity worked on that. So I actually have to debrief with their team and understand a little bit more about the, you know, how that all happened and how we might use that is um, to, to inform our work. But all to say that then the implementation guide work and the foundational work at HL7 is the beginning of much more conversation and policy change regulatory work to implement and because once you get something into regulation, federal regulation, then you make it sustainable over time. You say regulation. Mm -hmm. Explain to us what is that mandatory compliance is, is equals regulation? Yes, that's right. Okay. So that's the power that the Office of the National Coordinator has. It um, requires the, you know, it helps regulate the information that goes into electronic health records. And so if we can get our physical activity measures into that, into those required, that required information that goes into EHRs, we've just taken a huge step. So that's one of our goals. So as an example, in order to like force compliance, um, almost like when you check out of a, you know, I'm buying an airplane ticket and I got to check off all these boxes. So it, hypothetically, or, or an illustration of that would be, Okay, a doctor can't finish up their EMR record until they've provided a physical activity uh, prescription, or else like the EMR doesn't save. Is mm -hmm. that is that an example? It's not that would be, and I honestly, I'd have to. I, I'm not sure it would work exactly like that, but but you're exactly right that that would be part of the visit. That just like capturing blood pressure, just like capturing, you know, other vital signs or. Part, you know, other important parts of the conversation you have with your provider, that physical activity is one of those. And it becomes a regular part of every clinical visit, this assessment, and then acting off of that assessment, whether maybe the patient is already physically active and there's nothing more to do, but maybe that patient is really sedentary and we need to talk about next steps. Yeah, I mean, there's some really interesting um, devices that are inside of a the health club and Dave and, and Tom might, might chuckle on this. So you can go off mute if you want to chuckle. Um, you know, when you go into a health club at, at, at some point, they might um, put you on a, 
on a, a Staiku, I think it's called, which is basically like a 3D image, like as if you're going through an airport and, um, you know, like you see the image of yourself and then it'll like take a bar and they'll say, OK, if you work out for 10 weeks and you do this, you know, this is what your body's going to look like. And it basically like takes you back to like your normalized form uh, versus, you know, the, the body fat percentage that this, this machine is basically like recreated as an avatar. And then that's a great way to sell membership. Um, it's a great mm-hmm. way to create like hope and a roadmap. And if those things were, were in a doctor's office, you know, it might be almost like a sales and marketing quote unquote tactic. Um, but it works extremely well in health club industry. Maybe you bring that into, you know, the, the, the doctor's office and some of them do have it. And then there's also, um, you know, there's usually like a, uh, like a 20 pound, uh, of fat that that's actually like yeah. on the counter of like yeah, a, a physical, know, yeah. uh, personal training area and say, you know, we'll get rid of all this for you, you know, but as you kind of think through, okay, we're going to get these mandatory regulated things in the EMR in, in the down, in the industry on a one-on-one basis, there's a lot of creativity and there's a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, knowledge. Like this guy named Lane Norton that basically like calls out people for like, Hey, um, you know, that's, do you think that makes sense? But you're wrong. And let me tell you why. Cause I'm like a ninja of, you know, health and fitness and, and movement and so on and so forth. So how do you kind of say, okay, here's, look, I can get everyone to walk four times a day, 60 minutes a day, right? Like that, that'd be great. That probably solves half the problem and stay out of these supersized places that like want to give you a doggy bag of, you know, cheesecake uh, for an extra thousand calories on your way out. So how much of this is, all right, I've got to get, I've got to get this into the system so people are aware of it and people start to comply with it. At the same time, I'm not going to take away the autonomy of, you know, a personal trainer that specializes in, you know, senior exercise physiology and and tell him or her, this is what you have to do, you know, on a workout. Like that's not, it's not going to go down to that level. No, 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 no. What we want to be able to do is empower that exercise prescription to happen. And hopefully it's an evidence-based, you know, exercise prescription um, this is part of the conversation we have to have with CMS, like the license, the certification slash background of people who are offering that exercise prescription assuring. And there's probably going to have to be some kind of physician supervision or, you know, uh, healthcare professional supervision as part of a value-based healthcare team. And I think we're going to need some innovation, pro- you know, some pilots, pilot projects to kind of show proof of concept um, on how this all happens and is delivered. No, we don't get you don't get that far down into the weeds, but but you also to move back upstream a little bit. You also have to incentivize the providers to have the conversation in the first place, right. and that one way to do that is through work with the national with NCQA National Commission on Quality Assurance, because what they do is have performance and quality measures that incentivize providers to have the conversations. And we've been talking with them for quite a while now about doing a measure for physical activity assessment. And it wasn't until we told them that we were in the HL7 process that we got more of their attention. I don't know, you know, how things will go, but we we will continue talking with them after we get further along in HL7 because they are in HL7. They are standardizing for HL7. So I think we're going to have a lot to talk about in six months to a year. That's another way to help make sure that conversations happen, but it's a big lift to get a performance or quality measure, he just measure for physical activity into healthcare delivery. How do you, how do you combat um, a lot of these pharmaceutical 
companies that spend a lot of money create brands that don't you that don't like roll off your tongue uh, like Exemptar or you know Xyloflex or whatever. And you know these guys walking around in uh, you know oversized cardigan sweatshirts, uh, you know uh, sweaters, and you know they prescribe this medication. They're basically now like a recurring revenue stream at 95% margin to a pharmaceutical company when they should have just gone to the fitness center for like six weeks. And that it's almost like, like if you think about gun control, they're saying like, okay, it's like a, a waiting period, right? Before you can get a gun. Like, should there be a waiting period before like you get on one of these drugs that could be solved through exercise? Well, I think, so that's an interesting question, Pete. And I, I always defer to the clinician, you know, as we don't want to get in between clinicians and their patients. I mean, it may be that a, a patient does need to go on medication right away. But on the other hand, I would hope that physicians and nurse practitioners and PAs are talking to their patients about exercising, exercise being that really important first intervention to improve their health and well-being. And, and that's why making this a regular part of the conversation gets that front and center. And, and, and so I think, you know, like I said, we want to really adhere to the evidence base and the clinical guidelines, but we already have really good, you know, USPSTF recommendation saying and supporting lifestyle behavioral counseling for patients with at least one cardiovascular disease risk factor. They, we should be having that conversation. We should be linking them to those community resources getting them into health clubs, getting them to connect with a health and fitness professional to be physically active. So, so we've been trying to pass two, uh, two acts, you know, one's the gym act, one's the fit act. And I'm like shocked that some of these, you know, Congress people, you know, say no, you know, to, to a healthier you know, America. And obviously, you know, we've got healthcare costs that are, you know, going to be bigger than, you know, the unfunded pension liabilities, you know, of the companies of the 80s. So who's against what you're doing? That's a great thing. Well, that's, I hope, <laughs> I'm not sure there's anybody, well, what's been really exciting to me, Pete, in the HL7 is we, part of the whole process is to present your project across all the work groups of the HL7 community. And we got really great reception from the work groups on our project. And I was surprised because, you know, I've sat in an, on a few of them now where I, you know, it can go either way. But what Lloyd has told me um, is that it's because we have a good story to tell and people understand our story. And it makes a lot of sense. And we're talking to folks who aren't in the physical activity community. These are folks who are in health IT, who are in, you know, data, technology, you know, health systems, et cetera. They're not in our community. And I think we've got to do a better job, Pete, of talking to folks outside of physical activity and understanding what resonates with them. I've been thinking a lot about this is how, and this is where Tom and I have talked a whole lot and Tom should jump in here, but we can do a better job of communicating what we're trying to do to audiences who we don't normally engage in. They have to come into our work. We have to invite them into our work and they want, we want them to support it and buy into it and adopt it. And that requires having conversations. So a lot of what I've been doing over the last couple of months is just talking to people, different people. And as Tom is so good at, you know, reaching out to different people who would be interested maybe for different reasons. And let's, let's introduce them to our project and let's hope that they'll come in and then maybe they'll become a valuable implementation stakeholder down the road. Is there, when you think about the financial incentives 
you know, if mm-hmm. you know, went through the it's time to move plan, uh, the PowerPoint. Um, if you went to Humana and you said, look, for every one of your patients, every one of your 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 um, covered uh, members, if they do at least a hundred hours of exercise over, you know, let's say, let's let's do it this way. They do 60 minutes um, a day for three days a week for the whole year. We're going to give you a thousand dollar, you know, tax credit against every mm-hmm. one of those. It's going to be in the EMR and it's going to be connected to a watch and it's got to be alive. You know, we'll figure out a way to kind of make sure that it happened. You know, would that materially move the needle? What, what, what moves the needle here? You're much more patient than I am. Like we want to implement something like it's up on the website, like in 10 minutes, right? You're talking about it's a time to move like multi-pronged, multi-year, you know, it's like a 10 year plan. I want like a 10 day plan. I know. I know. Don't we all? So so what would, what would move the needle that, that may be a crazy idea, but you know, somehow get the fit act or the gyms act or the better for you America act to say, look, we're giving a thousand dollars to every covered insured person that exercises and it goes right to the bottom line and these stocks go up and Humana now is not just like a a real wellness company, but they're like a proactive exercise lead generator. That's a great point, Pete. We got the feedback in HL7 that we needed to make, we we need to um, uh, engage the payers in this conversation. And we've started to, but we have a lot more work to do there. I, you know, those are the kinds of conversations that we need to have with payers. You know, what do these incentives, what could these incentives look like? Um, how might we implement these incentives? Do they need to be in regulation or can they just be, you know, something that the insurance industry does, healthcare industry does, because it's good for their bottom line. It's good for patients. It's good for patient health outcomes. You know, we, we need to work that through. And then some of the data that Silver Sneakers and others have collected in their work is really important for those discussions. But, you know, there's just, there, you know, when you talk to NCQA, the last thing they want to do is get another, put another thing on a primary care physician's plate for the clinical visit, right? So mandating this mm. conversation is, it's an uphill battle, but let's keep working at it. Meanwhile, let's have the insurers hopefully pay for that exercise prescription. Yeah. I know people and they're coming around me. to it. It's happening yeah, way more. You know, we used to talk about it as a hypothetical idea. I mean, Silver Sneakers is delivering member experiences and also, you know, sizable checks to, to operators that help them on their monthly cash flow and also fill up the club on, you know, off peak hours. So so all those incentives are aligned on that front. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you take a look at, you know, exercise one thing, you know, I was talking to somebody else the other day and I said, you know, the foods that people consume on a regular basis is literally like going to the gas station and asking for leaded gasoline, you know, <laughs> not unleaded, not like with the special filter. It's like, you're actually like, just like destroying your body and you know it, and it tastes awesome. And then M&M's <laughs> comes out with a share size of, of peanut, uh, peanut butter M&M's, which is my favorite, even though I'm in the halo sector. And now they have something that says share size, but I don't share with anyone, I share with myself. <laughs> and then it says four serving sizes and I don't put it back three times. Like this is going down. So I'm really good at my multiplication on by, by four for pints of ice cream and for M&Ms. So is there like, and then you go into the trail mix section and you multiply that 16 grams of sugar times eight. And you just like, hold, like somebody just consume like literally 70 cubes of sugar on this like two hour flight. 
No. Like that, and they're sitting. It's like, so can we maybe, as an aside to this, can we maybe go after whoever's doing the serving sizes and maybe like target them? I mean, I'm all in on that. I want to know who these people are <laughs> and who's testing. Well, yeah, so we do work closely with FDA and labeling work on nutrition labeling work that and that was just revamped. So unfortunately, I think those are going to be in place. The current serving sizes are going to be in place for a while because we just went through that whole process. But oh, my gosh. I should approve. Somebody called me on that. You know, know what right? they should do? They should have me come there and just watch me eat. And whatever the <laughs> serving size is, that should be on the bottom. Should say Pete Moore's serving size. Serving size, yeah. Yeah. Um, Not with mac and cheese, though, because that's an issue I don't want to talk about. But go ahead. But all to say, Pete, I think, you know, there's always the need for patient empowerment, consumer education, and then provider education. I think providers need to be empowered to have these conversations. They're not, they don't always get that training in their, in med school or in professional development, continuing education. So, the resources you just, you know, you talked about a little bit ago, I think the more we can get those resources into the office, right at their fingertips at the time of the discussion is really important. So that's, you know, also part of this work. And this is why it's such a big lift. Um, and there's so many parts and pieces to it. And it's all interconnected yeah. to make this happen on a regular basis. Yeah. So, so two things I want to ask you a question about. One is that there are rules and regulations. I don't think they're HL7. But there are rules between like doctors referring patients to physical therapy, to mm-hmm. health clubs. And there's like these Chinese walls in place. And when you really think about it, you know, on the side or next to a health club should be a doctor's office. Right. And then, mm-hmm. yo, what's your prescription? I'll just go right next door. And then, mm-hmm. hey, if you want to get a healthy drink, like go into this, you know, smoothie bar and go get a massage or go get acupuncture, like these lifestyle centers should really be anchored by medical offices. Mm-hmm. So, that would be an ideal model, Pete. Yeah. And our local Y has done that. It's it's actually embedded in a healthcare system. So they're side by side. And but I think there are some there are some issues related to sharing of information and also financial transactions. And I, I don't know mm-hmm. what the, I mean, I guess you do have control over the prescription. And, and what that gets charged, but that all goes back to the insurance companies. We're all, which are all consolidated now anyway. So they call mm-hmm. BS on something if they, you know, on their, their coded charge. So that's one, you know, of, of in the future, try to combine the doctors and incent them um, to, to start yeah. with exercise and nutrition. Yeah. Um, and then the, so that was one. Um, and then the second question is given all the counterparties and the, and the influence that you have with, it's time to move as in a multi-year, multi-pronged initiative. You like that? Multi-year, multi-pronged? I like that a lot. <laughs> can we shoehorn in some of the things that we want to do with you? Like, can we shoehorn in like that health clubs or studios are essential businesses? Well, it's time to move. We've got to make sure we have somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. Right. So is there, are there certain things that we, instead of us, like I'll just say, and Liz is, is awesome. Liz Clark mm-hmm. who's joined us and she's making yeah. Waves, but we're like um, uh, the kid at the lemonade stand, you know, versus like the Starbucks across the street. You know, like we're not going to get the highest revenue or the highest influence. We're going to get some people that like want to talk to us and help us. But is there a way to, to, to go to, to your group and say, this is not only what we stand for as a mission, but these are the things that we need to happen. One, we need flexible spending accounts for healthcare related whatever. It could be golf clubs. It could be a heart rate monitor, could be a, a health club membership. That's got to be as high as it reasonable. 
reasonable, $10,000 instead of like two or 3,000. Um, we want all these insurance companies to have to mandatorily pay for 10 visits a month at $5 a month to whatever place you choose. And if you don't use it, we're going to raise your insurance to the member. Cause now you're, you're, I'm creating like an anti-syntax against you for not doing what I need you to do. Like, how do we kind of take some of these things that we're all passionate about, obviously, that are multi-year, multi-pronged, I'll throw it in one more time, and work with you and kind of like have that as like a foundation to the clay that you're putting together. Now I'm going to stop talking. Wow, those are great questions, Pete. So uh, a couple things. To your first question, I think the Diabetes Prevention Program gives us some really good lessons learned on how you can implement a prevention-based program in a community setting. And you're right, we've learned a lot. And I don't want to speak for the why and other um, health clubs and other fitness organizations that have helped implement the diabetes prevention program. But I understand from some of the folks we've engaged in our expert advisory group that we have a lot, you know, we're going to learn a lot from what they have learned. And that will be, all of those learnings will be integrated into our implementation guide with HL7. Um, so a lot to kind of carry over from those lessons uh, and, and hopefully build upon. Um, and then to your point about integrating our work is I, I just will say that again, we want to be as inclusive as possible. And we've talked to Liz and Liz is, and of course, Ursa is a member of our board and create a key stakeholder in strategic thinking going forward. Absolutely want to be as inclusive and thoughtful and comprehensive as possible in our work. That was the whole purpose, Pete, of us bringing together the Physical Activity Alliance. You know, we did it with, you know, a big meeting in Washington, D.C. about four years ago. There was consensus across the community that we needed to speak with one voice. And how powerful is that if we can do that, if we can bring consensus? We recently sent a letter to the White House for their fall conference and put the wish list for physical activity into that letter. It was an 11-page letter. And we've already, we sent it last Tuesday and Tuesday afternoon, they reached out to us to say, we'd like to talk to you about your letter and about commitments that we could maybe think about for the conference. So we're going to continue those conversations with the White House, all to say, we hope that a good bit of the letter that we sent will end up in the final report. The final report is going to guide federal action around nutrition and physical activity. And we want to be important partners to the federal government's work in moving this ball forward. And is that is that 11 page letter uh, public? Yes, we have shared okay. it uh, with. Um, yeah, and we'd be glad to share it with you after this call. So you have yeah, that'd be great. Question. Yeah, if we can yeah. post that, I think that'd be really super interesting. Um, the deadline for other organizations to submit letters is this Friday, the 15th. And so just to say, we're trying to spread it far and wide. So if others want to use ours as a model, uh, integrate any pieces of it, that's what we put it out there for. So uh, just everything is moving quickly for this, but it's just kind one, of- what, yeah, One random question. Is there an executive order since there's so many of them that happened? Is there an executive order that can actually be implemented and kind of fast track this? So this is, you know, these are, this is why it's great to have ongoing conversations with the administration about potential for where can the executive branch act and where do we need Congress to act? And, you know, then where do we interact? So the nice thing about the HL7 work and is a lot of it is in the regulatory environment. Those conversations are a little bit easy, not easier, but still hard work, but, but a little more 
I would say, easier than passing federal legislation. So, I mean, how many years has, you know, the FIT coalition been working on the FIT legislation? I mean, it's been a long slog, right? But, um, you know, important work. Uh, but I think we can do a lot in the regulatory environment, you know, to behind this kind of behind the scenes. A lot of folks don't appreciate all that you can accomplish with the regulatory agencies and, and how the how regulation works and so forth. Um, so all to say it's a it's all complementing each other and we would want to bring it all together as much as possible. Got it. Well, on our NHFA, um, we we're trying to figure out what what to call it and we're trying to. We still may do this, but the idea originally was to let's get a dollar per member per year, and then you create a budget that's a three times the size of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce because um, there's 60 million health club members. And um, we, we well, it hasn't been officially used, but we came up with this term, the fitness protection program, like the witness yeah. protection program, fitness protection program. So my one question, you don't have to tell me if you like it or not. I, I came up with it. It was just wait till the end. Now, um, it's time to move. Like, how important is that tagline? And how important is it? It's incredibly important. Yeah. It's incredibly important. People under, underestimate what, I know we had a, we had a congressman. I was like, I don't care what the name of the bill is. I'm like, you have to care. Because right? yeah. it, it, it psychologically triggers something mm -hmm. in your brain um, that, that is positive or negative right when you hear it. Right. So, Pete, we've just finished working with the Frameworks Institute. It's another resource that we hope to be releasing soon that helps us frame messages in the best possible way with policymakers. Mm. Because I, I learned through that process and the development of that resource guide that, and I think we all know that depending on who you're talking to, you're going to shift your messaging a little bit. Sure. But Frameworks helped us put a frame together for and putting the con, we can put content into the frame across all the issues that we're working on. But uh, that was really valuable for me. And I learned two things. Number one, that how we frame the message is different. What they're finding in their research is if you're talking to a Republican um, member of Congress, they tend to react more to, you know, uh, like things are in crisis mode. There's a real negative situation here. Let's act. Whereas on the Democratic side, generally, this is just general, they tend to act more when, you know, you by doing this, you could lift up the population. Sure. Those are two very different frames for the same what we're the same thing that we're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to try to use that resource to rethink, and Tom's already been doing it, re rethink how we do some of our communication around our work. Also say, Pete, I'm getting an appreciation for the importance of message research. And as you say, taglines, messaging, et cetera. And you guys have done it too. Like that is so important. And if you want to get the attention of the person you're talking to, it's an investment, but I think it's a worthy investment. Yeah. I just feel like there's got to be some, I don't know how so many vetoes, it's time to move, right? No, I think it's time to sit, you know, or, <laughs> or be a couch potato. Like, like, how can you like stand up and say like, I vetoed this for X, Y, Z reasons. Like you're just like, you should never be representing yeah. people, um, right, right. you know what you're talking about. So in closing here, you know, two, two things. One is what could everybody do that's listening to this? How, how can we help? And then two, uh, if you have any quotes that you like or, you know, things that you'd like to leave us with or um, something that, you know, says, oh, Lord says this all the time. Uh, well, so first on what can you do? So a couple of things, you know, come join us. 
in our work. There are different ways to join us in the Alliance. It doesn't necessarily have to be at the board level. If you want to join us at the board level, that's great. But if you if you're interested in in this work, join our you know join the expert advisory group we've pulled together, the different committees we have under the Alliance to get the work done. Come join us. Bring your perspective. Bring your assets. Bring your resources. Also, we do need funding. We've got the first year of funding in the bank. This is on a five-year plan with the It's Time to Move initiative. We need funding for years two through five. So we're still talking to potential funders and, and that's gonna be critical to bring. It's about, I mean, the the ideal budget is about a million dollars. The we can, To get this done is about 500,000. We need to bring bring that into our work. And, and so we're continuing those conversations. And then as far as uh, quotes, <laughs> I guess, you know, it would be Pete in line with a lot of what we've already talked about. But I think I try to approach our work with as much humility as possible because I'm learning every day as I get into this. Um, and I think humility is not, you know, it's so C.S. Lewis has this quote where it's something about humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So it's not about me and as an individual, it's about our collective alliance. It's about all the work that we do together, all the organizations together that really make this happen. And this is why we wanna make our umbrellas, our tent as big as possible and why doing it together and all pulling in the same direction is just so incredibly powerful. That's great. Yeah, I feel like you need to have that mindset to to be able to to manage through all these different, you know, interrelationships. Yeah. Nonprofit, yep. for profit, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, yeah, exactly. it's interesting how to how to balance that with humility. So officially, welcome to the Halo sector. You are now one of our senior advisors and ambassadors, deeply embedded uh, in, in DC, and uh, will help us uh, get to the next level, get us essential. Uh, get more people working out, eating less, uh, enjoying their lives more, and uh, appreciate what you're doing. And I'm glad we got connected, Tom. Thank you. And uh, you know, let's keep in touch on how we can, uh, you know, really move move some boulders here. And the quicker, the better. Thanks, Pete. It's been an honor. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs>